0: Before we start, I want to share some exciting news. I'm performing my new hour-long show about my love-hate relationship with running in this year's Frigid NYC Fringe Festival. I have five shows from February 17th to March 4th. For more info and to buy tickets, visit brianberlin.com or check out the link in the show notes. This episode talks about disordered eating and mentions suicidal thoughts. For support and resources on eating disorder, visit nationaleatingdisorders.org. To reach the National Suicide Prevention Hotline, dial 988. Take care when deciding to listen to this episode. The guests on Love Hurts occasionally use some adult language and go into some more intense subject matter, but that's kind of how real life works anyway. This is Love Hurts. I'm Brian Berlin. Today's guest is Amy Enriquez. Amy is a playwright and actress living in Los Angeles. Growing up, Amy had a sometimes difficult relationship with food, but that relationship morphed after a traumatic experience. From that point on, she did her best to pretend everything was fine, even though it wasn't. Hey, Amy, how's it going? Hello.
1: I'm um I'm doing well. How's it going for you, Brian?
0: Good. It's nice to meet you. Uh or I guess not in per I guess we probably will meet in person soon in the next few weeks or whatever. But we will. Yes. Nice I'm excited to- for that. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um yeah. What what did you want to talk about today?
1: Uh today I'm going to share my story with you and your audience about my journey into and through and eventually out of a an addiction treatment facility uh, to recover from anorexia and that journey started uh well it's very non-linear um i had st- i had struggled with eating disorders for a very long time and it really it really peaked um on 9 11. i was living in new york city i'm born and raised in new york in new okay. rochelle nearest still New York in Westchester and then as uh at the age of 10 my family moved to Florida and I think my parents were just done with the cold weather and (laughs) you know uh, my grandparents had moved down there and it just I you know and the minute I turned 18 I went right back to New York I'm like I'm out of (laughs) here yeah
0: like uh, if I have to pick between Florida and New York I'll take New York (laughs)
1: Yeah, I'm like, I'll take I'll take cold weather and snow. Please don't make me stay in Florida. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I went back to New York. I went to college in the city, and uh, and I was I was struggling uh, since my parents divorced with um, binge eating disorder, although it wasn't diagnosed. I didn't know what was going on, and then. When I got to New York, I began purging with um, by abusing and overdosing on laxatives, so it, it turned into bulimia. And then I was living in Astoria, and I was trying to get to work, and it was, as we all know now, a gorgeous, just like out-of-this-world beautiful day, and um so I was outside of the subway platform and and people I noticed people in the streets uh like were in the middle of the streets and some of yeah. them were, were crying and I thought okay Whoa. something's up like what yeah. is going on so I ducked into this uh little like bodega and, um cuz I was still in, in Astoria so the subway platform is above ground and so I go underneath the subway platform to this bodega and a radio is playing and everyone is just gathered in there. You could hear a needle drop and we're listening to the the radio commentary and only one tower had been hit so far. And, um, and all of a sudden my cell phone rang and everyone turned and looked at me like, you have cell phone service. And I, I couldn't believe it. And it was my older sister and I picked up, and her name's Danielle, and I said Danielle, and she said, "Are you okay?" And I said, "Yes." And then we got disconnected. Wow! And that—that that was it. That was my the end of my contact for for the rest of the until the next day, and um, and so at least she could tell my family, yeah, 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 like I got contact with Amy, and she's okay, and um, and so that day uh, what I didn't know then, but I do know now, cause I've been through so much treatment and therapy. Uh, I just had a complete traumatic response or trauma response. And I tried to control whatever I possibly could because everything was so out of control that day. The city, we thought we were at war. So, some radio stations were saying we're at war and you know, the city, the whole city was under attack and it was just Oh, it was just so frustrating not being able to turn on the news and just sit alone. And my roommate had slept at his girlfriend's house that night in Harlem. So I had no one at, at the apartment with me. And I just felt so like spiraling out of control, like the whole world was spiraling out of control. And the one thing that I could control at in that moment, not even my thoughts, was just what goes into and out of my body. And so I, I had a little bit of cash on me and I went to the store and I got a bag of peanuts or I'm sorry, a can of peanuts and a bag of pretzels. And I went back to the apartment and I counted every single one and I would put them in little groups and I would, I would tally up the the grams of fat and calories and, and protein and fiber. And I would, you know, put them in little individual bags and label them. And then I took them all and threw them all in the garbage and I, it was this very manic way of of trying to feel like i was in control of something and that is the the moment and the day that my eating disordered behavior all went into just into anorexia so i wasn't binging and purging anymore i was just restricting and and starving myself and it became very addictive and i would lie constantly about the food that i ate and my health you know i was wearing pairs of pants and you know trying to trying to just convince everybody that I was fine that everything is okay I didn't want the attention I didn't want to lose weight and be thin I just wanted to control I just wanted to be in control
0: yeah like yeah. You, the thing that you were obsessing over is just wanting some kind of yeah you as you're saying you just want something that you can control in life
1: yeah. Yeah. And, and, and to starve yourself, it's, it, it numbs you like any drug, you know, or, or, you know, alcohol and, you know, some people numb all of these feelings that they're trying to numb with, you know, gambling or sex or shopping addictions. And it's all the same. You're just, it, it's, it's all the same at its core, you know, addiction, Um, regardless of the drug of choice and mine was food. And so I, I lived and I use the word lived lightly because I was barely alive. Um, I lived this way on such a deep, deep level of denial and restriction and being in this disease for a few years. And there was no denying that I had lost an enormous amount of weight and I looked very, very unhealthy. Um, the, uh, my school, my, my college, I was at the American Academy of Dramatic Arts, um, very intimate, super tiny. There were maybe 70 people in my class and, you know, the teachers and, uh, you know, would call me privately and say like, hey, what, you know, what's going on? Um, the, my employers at Tavern on the Green um, called me into their office like, hey, what's going on? Um, a lot of people thought I was addicted to drugs because of the rapid weight loss. Yeah. Um, So there's
0: people like actively trying to, you know, if not actively help you, but at least like just be there for you and check in with you. Like, you, there is like a level of support system that is kind of around you. But you're kind of in this scenario where I'm just like, deny, deny, deny whatever I have to do to just be like, I'm fine. Because in your mind, I guess you are like, you are fine.
1: Exactly. Exactly. I was in a, a big state of denial and my body, as far as I was concerned, was still functioning. You know, I, um, I was having massive anxiety attacks. I did not know how to identify them. I wasn't receiving professional help, but people were noticing yeah. that something was wrong. And I was in such denial. There was a, uh, one of my, um, friends who I went to school with, um, she kind of cornered me in the locker room one day and, and, and very, very, so sweet. And she said, you know, hey, I've been where you are and I understand what you're going through. And if you ever want to talk. And I was like, what? I don't know what you're talking about. You know, just like absolutely like, oh, um, no, you don't You don't know me. You don't know what I'm going through, I'm, I'm fine. And in retrospect, I'm like, oh, my gosh, if I had just had a conversation with her, if I, you
0: know, but... Yeah, I think in, in those kind of scenarios, admitting something wrong is so much so much of a harder thing to do, right? Like, the easier uh, thing to do is just be like, everything's fine. Yeah. The other thing you said was, like, this had been a few years, so it's like, you had found a way to, like, justify it working in your life because, yeah, like, it had been the amount of time that it had been.
1: Exactly. It hadn't killed me. I was still going to the gym. I I, I had felt like I had worked so hard to, to create this, this perfect, you know, world. I was a perfectionist now and I was empowered and I felt like, you know, I've got this. I, you know, I, the disease is not controlling me. I'm controlling it, you know? And, um, I definitely knew that, you know, because of my, my mental state was declining. I knew some that I knew what was going on. I knew that I wasn't eating enough, but I was not ready to give that up. Like no way was I going to let someone else control me by going to treatment or talking to somebody about it. Cause I knew that they would, you know, in a sense, take it away from me. And I didn't want to relinquish that. Um, this, this was like my life jacket, like the disease had been keeping me safe and secure and feeling in control in this out of control world for years now so I wasn't ready to like take that life jacket off yet you know um, not realizing that it was actually what was drowning me and yeah, like uh,
0: instead of being a life jacket it's yeah it's this concrete life jacket I guess or something right where it's right. Like, it's, it's actually making it harder for you to stay above water
1: Yes, exactly. This life jacket's now completely waterlogged because you've been in the ocean with it for far too long yeah. and it's bringing you down. But you're like, no, 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 no. It, it kept me afloat. It can't possibly be killing me. So a, a few years went by and, and now it's 2003. And um, my younger sister came to New York to spend her spring break with me. And um, my mom called me and she said, by the way, when your visit is is done, when my sister's name is Jesse. So, you know, when, when Jesse, you know, is done visiting you in New York, you're going back to Florida with her that you're coming home. And I was like, what? No, I'm not. And she said, yes, you are. You're going to get help. And I was livid. And I could have said, no, I was, I forgot how old I was at that point. Um, 21, 22 years old at that point. And I was just like, absolutely not. And she said, you know, I already booked, you know, your, your one-way ticket. So take what you want, you know, you'll go back one day, but you know, so I put, I gave my aunt Kathy who lives in New York, a bunch of boxes and I packed what I could. And I went back to my mom's house in Florida and she is a young mom and no one in my family had been th- to therapy. Nobody talked about this. Yeah. Stuff, you know, like we didn't talk about feelings and we weren't exactly encouraged to express our, our emotions growing up. Um, my dad's 100% Italian. And my mom's Irish, German. And it was always like, if you cried, it was like, what are you crying about? You <laughs> know, it was like, stop it. Uh, and so, you know, even if we were sick, you know, my parents would get frustrated because they were like, just stop coughing. So it really never felt like a, a safe to, emote or express or yeah. something wrong
0: so for you to so for you to like decide you know you're you're being told like oh you're coming back and and you kind of have this initial like oh i'm not gonna do this but you do it like was there a part of you that was still kind of like denying things in that moment or was there a little bit of like like I'm going to let go of the life this life jacket a little bit.
1: Yeah, I was almost glad that my mom made the des- the decision for me because I would have never gotten help on my own. And in New York, I had seen a therapist and, and a nutritionist just to kind of, in a way, shut everyone up. Like, fine, 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 I'll, see. <laughs> yeah. I'll talk to somebody. And I didn't do anything that they suggested. I didn't, I, I just, I wasn't ready. I wasted everyone's time. I yesed everybody to death, you know, and acted like, oh yeah, that sounds great. I will, I will absolutely do that and then not do it. And um, so I think deep down inside, I knew that, that if I had stayed in New York, that nothing was going to change. I was so sick. Um, I did let go from, be let go from, uh, I was let go from my job. Um, I was collecting disability and unemployment because I literally couldn't stand for, for, my, for too long I needed to be able to sit. Um, I just was so weak. I had nothing, I had nothing left to give. And so I thought, fine fine, let's do it. Because I think at that point I was getting a little bit scared, still in denial, but um, there was a slight relief of, okay.
0: Yeah, like there was enough to say like, yeah, I I don't really want to do this, but part of me is like realizing maybe this is a little bit worse than it. than I initially thought it was or something like, yeah.
1: Exactly. That's just exactly it. Like I, yeah, it, it was, I was nonstop obsessing over food, thinking every single second there were numbers going through my brain, uh, just counting Calories of stuff I thought I would eat, or I didn't eat, or that someone else ate, and it was just numbers. It was like a beautiful mind style. Yeah, just
0: like <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, the worst version of a beautiful. Yeah, mind. Like... yeah,
1: I wasn't solving any great equations. I was just like numbers, 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 and obsessing over what I would and would not eat, how I would handle a social situation, like what was my my you know excuse going to be for? I have a stomachache. I'm allergic to that. I'm vegetarian now, and so I I think I was just exhausting myself and um no one wanted to hang out with me anymore because I was really no fun and I I was lonely and I wasn't getting any acting work cuz I looked terrible and um yeah I just it, it was time so I I did go go home and uh my mom gave this like ultimate or a deadline. She's like, you have until the end of next week to find treatment. And I'm like, wait, this is on me? Like <laughs> Like in my early 20s, like, I don't, I don't know. So I I didn't. I didn't do any research. I was just like, yeah, I'll just hang out, go to the beach. And um, and so my mom just uh sent me to a, a therapist down in Florida who referred me to a center. And and she was this is a The best tough love. I mean, this therapist was awesome, but she was like, I'm not enough for you. You need way more than a therapist. Like you need a full partial hospitalization program. You have to be or inpatient, but I, I cannot treat you. You need much more than this. And bless her heart, like, she really she like shoved a brochure in my hand, called my mom, my mom came in gave her the same brochure. And she's like, you are going to call this center. You know, I'm going to call them first and let them know to expect your call. And you're going to call them. Like, she just did not.
0: Wow. Yeah. This- yeah. Just kind of this aggressive like this. is Like, I know what you need. And please do it.
1: Yes. It, it, almost like a, a pushy mom, you know, which my mom and I both needed because we were both scared and clueless. Yeah. And so it was she was great. Her name was Carla. I'll never forget her. And uh, and I went back to her once I finished the program. She was my therapist for
0: afterwards. Yeah. She was and like, now I could this is now I can I was work like, with okay.
1: this. She's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> like, OK, now I know you're not going to pass out on me in the middle of the session. We can actually get get work done. <laughs> Um, so we did we you know called the center um I I went in for kind of an intake and um by the center what I mean is um uh I won't name the place just said for privacy if it is still open um but uh it was in South Florida and it was an addiction treatment facility and it was a partial hospitalization program which meant that you would go there every day from about 8 a.m to five or six PM. So, and then you'd go home and sleep in your own bed or a halfway house. A lot of people were, were living in, in homes. And, um, and then that way, if you relapsed or, you know, they wanted you to get a little bit of the real world so that you can come in the next day and, and process and work through it. Um, and then you had your weekends free as well. So, um,
0: yeah. So you're like full-time job. That's just going to the treatment center.
1: Yes, yes, and they used the 12 steps. Um and it uh, when I when I did my first day, when I entered the the facility, um I it, it really was this like sterile, like white cinder block walls no windows just like so depressing fluorescent lights like just the worst not warm and fuzzy at all the therapists yeah like not not a welcoming
0: environment (laughs) no
1: not at all and the therapists were not warm and fuzzy it was like spiritual boot camp like you are gonna get better and i just and i was i I was the youngest. I was the only person being treated for an eating disorder. The other patients that when I during my first few months were there for drug and alcohol addiction and and, you know, right away learns that it's all the same. So, like, yeah,
0: like, was there a part of you initially that was like, well, I'm not none. This is not as bad as these people. And then you're quickly like, oh, no, wait, this. is Oh,
1: fully. Yes. I was like, well, I'm not doing meth on the corner. And, you know, I'm like, sure, I'm I'm doing great compared to these guys. And, um, you know, and, you know, people would come in with, you know, w- wounds on their wrists or, you know, we had a lot of people who cut themselves and, you know, I would just be like, well, I'm not that bad. Oh, I'm not that bad. And eventually it was like, no, you actually yeah, you're are. All, you're all
0: leveled <laughs> out. Yeah. You're all on the yeah. same level. Yeah.
1: You're all trying to to fight the same demons and numb the same the same pain through drugs. And um, only mine was just food. And yeah. <laughs> uh, so it's a 28 day program, because that's about how long it takes to like fully de- detoxify from a drug and um, kind of wean off of the de- your body's dependency on it and create a new habit.
0: It feels like one of the hurdles must be, you know, instead of just like not taking a drug anymore, not drinking anymore, you have to like entirely change your relationship with this thing that you need to sustain... Life, right? Yes,
1: yes. You get it. It's it's a very it's so complicated. You it's not abstinence. You cannot abstain (laughs) from food and and survive. Um, But none of us finished within twenty eight days. Everyone stayed much longer. And twenty eight days is about the amount of time that insurance will cover your treatment, and then you're kind of on your own. So a lot of people needed more, but didn't stay because they couldn't afford it. Um, But uh, my grandma. Rest her soul now. Paid for my treatment, which was really, really incredible. And I, what was supposed to be a twenty-eight day stay turned into just underneath a full year. Wow. Yeah, it was very challenging. And eventually, the the longer I was there, I saw so many people come and go, and there eventually were other people there for uh, being treated for eating disorders, and um, and. The longer I stayed, and this is something that I never thought could or would happen, um, the, the more comfortable I got. And I kind of wasn't really acknowledging it at the time, but I kind of liked being there. It felt safe. Again, this life jacket. Right. Uh, all of a sudden I was like, "Whoa, I've been here the longest. I'm kind of the queen bee. Like, I feel like the senior amongst the freshmen. I'm, <laughs> yeah. uh, I, you know, like, <laughs> wow, I finally found my place in this world. It very these delusions. Again, it's just the disease talking to you. And
0: yeah, you were sort of finding ways around actually doing the work and getting the help you need, essentially. Yes. Right? Like that's sort yeah. of what you're saying.
1: Yep, I I was really bsing my way through it and being like, oh my gosh, when I got home last night, I ate this, 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 and this.
0: Okay. You know, and... Yeah, uh, you're coming in being like, I'm going to get my gold, I'm going to know everything I need to say to get my gold star for the day.
1: Yes. And then I'll go
0: home and not do any of the things again and then come in and lie again kind of
1: thing. Mm Mm-hmm. And thinking that I was winning, like I'm playing this game and I am winning, but i wasn't they didn't care you know like they they do but also you know one of the the toughest truths i learned there was one of the therapists who um who like taught the spirituality class uh he was like hey fine if you die the world's going to keep spinning like what do you what do you think's going to happen like so what so you starve yourself to death everyone's lives are going to go on and I was like, what? He's like, yeah, you think you're that important? I'm like, uh, I don't know. I'm confused. You know, my mind tells me I'm a piece of shit, you know, because and I don't deserve to eat and I don't deserve to live. But also, what do you mean? You know, so it was they really used a lot of tough love there. You know, you don't want to take your meds. Fine. You know, fine. Have anxiety attacks all day. We don't care. It's not us. It's not our lives.
0: Yeah, like you're learning, they're they're basically making you learn the lesson of like we're not we're not the ones in charge of fixing you, like you're the you're in charge of fixing you and we're just trying to give you the tools to kind of, you know. Yeah. Like you have to do this yourself. We can't do the work for you kind of thing. Like that's right. sort of where where they're coming yeah, you,
1: from. Yeah. Like you can show up to, to your classes every day in college and if you're not like listening to the professor and doing the homework and, and taking the tests, like, well that's that's on you it's not it doesn't mean you had a bad college or a bad professor it's it's you and uh yeah I just I just really really did not want to leave that center I just I didn't know what kind of life there would be for me afterwards I I couldn't even imagine like a life where I could just like eat when I was hungry and stop when I was full and and it got to the point where on weekends, I was going out sometimes with the other patients and we'd go out drinking and we'd go, or we'd skip a, a group there. Like some, sometimes we had to go to 12 step meetings outside of, of the center weekends and evenings. And we'd say, we did go to, yeah, I went to eating disorder anonymous. And then I went to AA and, you know, because I got caught drinking last week. So I have to go to AA and I'm like, yeah, I went. Yeah. Really, really insightful. And so a lot of the relationships that I formed in the center became a, a bit uh unhealthy, codependent, enabling. And but everyone else that wound up, they got better. They really did. Like they they moved on. And I was still there. And I finally hit this wall of like, I surrender. I'm ready to do the work. Like I just I I'm done playing these games like I was exhausted
0: yeah I was gonna say was there a particular moment where it like hit you of like I I don't this is it this is too much to be faking this all the time
1: I think you know there are a few factors I I my my very first niece was about to be born and I wasn't allowed to to hold her um, because uh, I could pass out at any moment because my my blood pressure was just so so low and my heart rate was all askew and so for the for the baby safety I wouldn't be allowed to hold her when she was born and I really started to think about my own mortality and you know the her birth was so just her arrival was so magical and important to me and I thought about being her a role model to to my niece and what you know, like, Oh, I don't, I don't want her to have an aunt that dies. You know, I don't want her to have an aunt that can't touch her or hold her or babysit her. Cause she might pass out and, and put her in danger. And so I, I, one big thing was like, I wanted to be there. I wanted to show up as an aunt. And I knew then that I didn't want children, but I love children. And so I, I really wanted to be there for, for my niece who, is now 19, which is insane. And she's amazing. I just, <laughs> she was worth it. Sticking around was worth it. And, um, and I was, exa- I was just tired. I didn't want to fight anymore. So it was one thing or the other, just die or do the work. And doing the work is way more hard. <laughs> it's just, you know, I thought I was like, God, it'd be just so easy to just die. And, you know, trigger warning, like suicidal ideation, but I just thought it would just be so, so much better. I was stressing everyone out. You know, my mom was losing so much sleep. Everyone was so worried all the time. And I just was like, well, I should just relieve them of this. Um, But I chose to relieve them a different way. I I did the work and, um, and I finally finished the program. Um, It took, like I said, a year. And then afterwards you transition into, um, you go just a few days a week, And then you transition to the days are a little bit shorter. And then you transition to you show up to nighttime meetings and you have your own set of therapists that you see outside of the center. And um, within the next year, I was able to get a job, which, of course, you know, they were like, you can't work around food, alcohol. Uh, there are all these like you know you can't do any of that. Yeah, like you can't
0: go back to being working on a restaurant kind of thing.
1: Right, like stay away from your triggers. And they also were like, and do not date anybody after you get out of treatment. You who cannot date because you will get into an unhealthy relationship. You will seek it. Trust me. And I was like, not me. Mm -mm, I'm so special. (laughs) (laughs) I immediately got a job working as a bottle server at a nightclub. And I started dating the bartender who is a complete addict, total alcoholic. And I mean, oh my gosh, I did everything they (laughs) said I would probably do. (laughs) And I paid the price. Um, And, you know, I I relapsed, I went back into, you know, treatment again, not the same place. But, um, you know, it, it took me a long time. To finally get to the place where I'm at now. And I've been healthy and free of any eating disordered patterns or behavior for 10 years now. And so it it took a long time to get here. And I, now that I know, I mean, it stole a decade out of my life. Just, Just the, you know, not just being sick, but also trying to recover and then getting out and then relapsing and going back in and then relapsing and and, you know, trying to find like, oh my gosh, like my place in this world. I, I've lost a decade to this disease. And how am I going to pick back up again? And, but I did. And, um, yeah. So it's, it's been 10 years and I, I never want to go back there again. It's just, it, it, it would break my heart. <laughs> and, uh, it does get easier. It really, really gets easier. It's, it's always, I, can, I always compare like, you know, being a recovering addict to just like, um, like a disease that's in recession, you know, you may not be totally out of it, but it, you know, you have to be really careful and take good care of yourself. So it doesn't come back. Like there's this pilot light and it's always on, but if you give it fuel, it's going to become this huge flame and start to consume you. So just knowing that it's there. And if I have any intrusive thoughts, just like acknowledging them and just, moving forward.
0: Yeah, it's okay to be like, hey, this is still a, a part this is still a thing that exists in my brain, but it doesn't need to take up the space in my brain that it used to take up. And that's okay. Like, yeah, to be able to like kind of separate those two things from each other.
1: Yes. Yes. So it, it it's it's hard. I, I have I'm going through this experience, I just um I know I have an addictive personality, but I've I've not had a drug or alcohol addiction. And but for everybody who's in twelve step programs and dealing with it, I just I have so much empathy and it's just, it's really, it's, it's a very difficult hand to be dealt. And, um, it, it, there's no solid conclusion. You're never 100% better. You're always recovering, you know, you're never recovered. Yeah, uh, it's just this lifetime of just being aware and being very careful. And it, t- it took so long to get there, but it was everything that I resisted is what ended up healing me. Like I finally started yeah. taking antidepressants and anti-anxiety medications. And I, I, I hated art therapy. We had to do art therapy and <laughs> I just hated it. I was like, this is so stupid. We're not in kindergarten. And I was a real cranky. I, I was not my authentic self back then. And, and I still, to this day, have those pieces that I made in art therapy. My mom sent them to me and I look at them now. I'm like, Oh my goodness this tells so much about the state of, of mind i was in like the art is it's you know it's not like you know van gogh or anything but it's just like whoa this is really incredible and um and the journals i hated journaling but i was like i will journal because you're making me and i still actually my <laughs> laptop is propped on them right now because I, I reference them when i write and um I'm so glad I did them. And so everything they said, you know, this will help you, this will help you, that I like was real cranky about, um, it wound up really helping me. It's just like I resisted it so much. But if it weren't for the the tough love that I received from my family and from the the treatment team, um, I think that if everybody honestly was just a little too nurturing, it, they would have let me get away with, with murder of myself. Yeah essentially um they really really pushed and uh it was hard it was it really did feel like boot camp and um and I I came out of it and yeah and I don't respond well to tough love I really don't but um they didn't give up on me I came in there like a rock like no one's gonna break this you know you're not gonna get through to me Mm -mm." like I was so so like sure that like you know, they, I was not going to crack. And it, they kind of just like kept pushing and kept pushing and I kept resisting. And then finally, like I broke down some barriers. Um, but in this case, it, it kind of did work. And, um, and I can look back on it now and say like, they really did love me and care for me. They just were doing, everyone was just doing what, what their best to keep me alive. Yeah. So yeah, it's, um, it's really, I'm I'm very, very grateful. And because, you know, we, we really didn't have much of social media going on back then. I, I didn't stay in touch with uh, the other people that were in the center with me. Um, and I think about them all the time. It just, who made it and how is everyone doing? And, uh, you know, you kind of go through this crazy thing together and then that's it. You don't see each other or hear from each other. Um, but also I'm in a way very grateful um, social media did not exist while I was struggling because I, I, I'm aware now, like, you know, I, I, I do a lot of posts about like body image or body neutrality or, you know, eating disorder stuff. And then like the targeted ads I get are for diets. And so oh, I just God. thought, yeah, yeah it, you know, diet products and weight loss pills because they, just, yeah, whatever. Oh. The
0: algorithm is just like too dumb to understand. It just yeah. is like a post about food, and it's like, oh, we have the thing you want.
1: Right? Yeah, I think it's it's very dangerous. I, I, you know, especially for for young people. You know, it doesn't matter your gender. It's it's very it, it's it's awfully dangerous. And so, um, yeah, I'm I'm glad that I didn't have to deal with social media yeah. on top of the societal pressures of, of being an actor and a, a woman and and yeah and just coming from a family whose culture is food the italians yeah you know, yeah, yeah. Like, i'm italian oh.
0: too so i, I understand that <laughs>
1: yeah yes. food is love it's yeah. just like what do you mean you're not going to eat my meatballs Yeah. Like, like
0: i that. go to i'll go to like visit my grandma and she'll she's 91 now 92 now and she'll be like Oh, let me make you some lunch. And I'm like, "No, Nani, you don't you don't have to make me lunch." But she's like, I was like, "I want to make you something." And I have to like be like, "I just ate." Like I just like it's so funny. But that's yeah, that's so I get. I understand like, yeah, that the world around that is is a lot yeah. of pressure, especially when you're yeah, you then have this other stuff you're dealing with.
1: Yeah, yeah. It, food really is love. And it's just like, you know, oh, I already ate. Well, let me get you some cake. Well, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm pretty full. All right, I'll make a salad and some iced tea. I'm like, I just don't want to eat. Yeah. It's very, it's very, very difficult for them to understand. You know, having a thin person in the family was like, what? <laughs> you, you hate me. You hate me. You're not eating. Um, But yeah, there's just so much to navigate. So yeah. much to navigate. And uh yeah, so um, I'm happy. Happy to be here and alive and healthy and able to share this the story um, yeah. with, with you and and everyone else who's who is open to hearing
0: it. Yeah, no, I'm glad. I'm glad you've made it on the other side. And yeah, as you said, it's like not not a journey that like ends, but it's something that you're able to kind of like, you know, deal with in your daily life and not not have it be this consuming thing. And that's great. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And I know this might be like a transition into. I know that you've like. created the show that is like i i I assume semi-inspired or a lot inspired by this journey
1: yes it's completely autobiographical it's called lightweight and it is about what i i just told you um it is it goes back and forth in time uh it starts with with me in the treatment center and it's a dark comedy um because i i really like to use humor because without it I don't think I'd be here, you know. I have you have to find the funny and, and everything, uh, in order to just survive it. I that's me, and um, so uh, I do use comedy and um, and you know it's quite dark too. But um, yeah, we go back and forth in time and and my journey through the treatment center. And uh, you will, you'll see the artwork that I created, I have a, a montage of it. And um, I'm also a professional puppeteer. Oh, and cool. So I do incorporate the use of a puppet in, uh, in the show. It's not a puppet show, but there is a puppet. Yes. Um, otherwise, it's a completely solo show. And uh, yeah, I've been performing it for a few years now. It went to the Edinburgh Festival Fringe in Scotland last summer. And you know, it was a really good way to test it out. Like, are people gonna be receptive to this? Like a dark comedy about anorexia, um, but it's not just that. It's about relationships. You know, relationships with our parents, relationships with, you know, ourselves, our bodies, uh, culture. Um, it goes through a lot. The experience of of being. A young woman who's getting unwanted attention from men since uh, childhood and just all the wrong things that the people who are trying to help you say. Um, My parents were just they said all the wrong things and they they, you know. What did they know? (laughs) Yeah,
0: like nothing against them. They just had. Yeah, they didn't know.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, So, yeah. So um, it will now be coming. Lightweight will be performing at the Frigid Festival in New York City um so it's going back to its origin story you know it all kind of started in new york city so it's exciting to bring it back i live in los angeles yes. now and uh yeah it will be there uh, february 17th through the 28th there'll be five performances during that time
0: yeah i guess if they want to follow you on social media or anything is there like a good either your personal link or show link or something they could check out like a handle
1: yeah yeah i'm most active on instagram so that handle is at lightweight underscore show um so then that's public and um and that's where that's mostly where i i do my posting for this for the show cool yeah well
0: thanks so much for sharing all this amy it was great to have you on
1: thank you brian it was really great to talk with you
0: this is how we love this is how Love Hurts is produced, hosted, and edited by Brian Berlin. Theme music by Mickey Hommel. Show art by Caroline Malin. You can find Love Hurts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like the show, rate and review it on Apple Podcasts and tell a friend about it. You can find Love Hurts on Twitter and Instagram at LoveHurtsPod, and our website is LoveHurtsPod.com. I'm Brian Berlin. And this is Love Hurts.